Hello, hello. Welcome back to Open Relationships, Transforming Together. I am your host, Andrea Miller. I'm joined by my colleagues, Jonas Koffler, John Sundholm, and Brian Atkins, our producer. We also have an amazing guest today, David Ahern, who has the most incredible bio. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, can't wait to get in. There's a lot that we have to talk about. There's going to be a lot of laughs with you, I know. All right. David Ahern is a national keynote speaker and best-selling author of five books, including Happy Accidents, The Transformative Power of Yes and, and, in, and, uh, uh, bah. yes and, at work and in life. Sorry, I botched that. And his latest, Listen, Laugh, Connect, a comedian's itty-bitty guide to great conversations. David is a co-founder of the improv comedy show Four Day Weekend. I love that. I want more of those myself which is now the longest-running comedy show in the Southwest. David recently hosted a show on Amazon TV called Yes and Yoga for two seasons. I've watched it. It is awesome. Talk to me about chakras. I'm now an expert. Thanks to David. Uh, David was an <laughs> entrepreneur in resident a residence at TCU's Neely School, where he taught the principles of Yes and, and we're going to be talking about Yes and here too, to future entrepreneurs. He won a Lifetime Achievement Award for Entrepreneurship from NAACE, Finally, David is based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, lives with his partner and three amazing children. David, thanks so much for joining us. It's thrilled to be All here. Right. Thank you. Hey, F. Um, wow, that crowd is amazing. Um, I, it really is. They're loud. To be in my head and that loud, they're loud. Yes. Full disclosure, <laughs> I was way off on what this show was about. When I heard open relationships and I said yes and I signed on, I did not think it was about community. I it's a completely oh, yeah. different show. <laughs> You're ready to take your shirt off? <laughs> yes, totally. I, my lady was right to you my know, right. Your pants we were very be off right now, and it's fine. They, you know, they would be off Plenary anyway, well. but for open relationships, definitely they were off. You have to. Yeah, well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad you dressed appropriately. <laughs> Thank you. Always, <laughs> or, or not. Always. Always. You should yes. have seen the dress rehearsal, really. I mean, <laughs> but I think. There you go. Amazing. That's that's so funny. No, thank you. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get started. Um, you've used comedy and the practice of yes and, which I'm going to say full disclosure, your tango, the publishing business that I founded and lead, uh, uh -huh. we use it all the time. It has been awesome. so instrumental um, to how we problem solve, how we communicate. It's amazing. Um, so you, but you've you've used this practice to build an exciting and successful business as well. I really want to drive home critically a joyful life, right? Because a lot of times yeah, absolutely. successful business and joyful life are like this rather than, right. you know, one in the same, right? Yep. Um, and you've done this by serving and entertaining others. And so uh -huh. it's like, dude, just freaking good job. <laughs> like, oh, thank, like, you. I well, thank wanna, you. Yeah, maybe I'll come back as you in, a nor in another life. Thank lifetime. you. Thank you. That's nice. Well, um, you know, the, but, important, the important thing I do want to say too, especially when it comes to being an entrepreneur, it's important to work to live, not to live to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your work is just supposed to serve your life. And I think that's a it's an <laughs> important thing that we're not taught as Americans, you know, and and when we really start to live the life of our work is just serving our life, then then things can change and shift. There's no question about that. And and it took me years to learn that, actually. Yeah, I love that framing and same. I mean, guilty. In fact, I love the uh, one of the phrases you use in your show going from ego, especially for the, for all you leaders out there, whether you lead a huge business or a smaller organization or you're in middle management, David talks about going from ego, the I, right, to we go, right? Uh -huh. It's all about the we, right? Yep. I mean, isn't that yes. amazing how it, it's yeah. like 
such a, it feels like a well-kept secret, right? And you're, well, to me- It is, but but as a leader, you know, the thing is, and it always surprises me when you talk to like executive leadership staff, it's uh, that, that are trying to control the outcome and the process to the point of yeah. harming themselves. It's like, what yeah. we come up with together is far better than what we come up with individually. And when you start to honor the talents and differences of other people, as opposed to, you know, slapping their hand for it, what you find is that we all end up succeeding bigger and better. Because the idea yeah. is we want the entity to succeed. We don't care about ourselves. I mean, yes, we want to contribute. We want to make our contribution to the whole. But understanding that my contribution is only in service of the whole. And that's the thing about improvisation is that it teaches you to be in service of the whole as opposed to the individual. And it's it's critical because when you when you have that small shift in the prism in an organization, suddenly we're all in it together. And that's the great thing about improvisation is a lot of people are like, aren't you afraid when you go out and improvise a comedy show? I always say, no. They go, but you're not afraid of the unknown. Absolutely not, because I have six or seven other cast members that are stepping into that unknown with me. And and we we know we got each other's back. So there's nothing to fear because the thing in, in life is, is that a lot of people think that saying the word no, it, it is, you're going to have to say no from time to time in your life, but no gives you the illusion of control, but it gives you the illusion of control at the expense of endless possibilities because yes is the only thing that can lead you into uh, the infinite unknown. The only way to change, the only way to grow is to step into that place you've never been before. And in, in the idea of improvisation, when you step into that space as a group and as an entity, then whatever's in front of you, you can handle and you don't have to do it alone. And that that's the basic tenet of it, what improvisation is and yes, and. And when organizations start to apply this, they find uh, their entire work atmosphere gets more harmonious. People start working together. We start an, uh, you know honoring the talents of others. And when we treat each other as artists and poets and they do the same to us, what do we have then? We have artistry and poetry. And that's the way all mm-hmm. of us strive to live our lives, you know? Um, and so it's 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 something that came into my life that was not by design by any stretch of the imagination. I used to think improv. Yeah, was how, absolute... how did how, yeah? How did you stumble upon this, or how did you uh, well land into years this? ago? So I started out in comedy doing stand up, and stand up and improvisation could Thanks. not be more different because stand up uh-huh. is you yeah. got you you against the world, and essentially what stand up is super rehearsed. I mean, what I hear about like the superstar very much so. comedians just hearing about how stand-up is so rehearsed completely so calculated and the pay i mean it, it kind of stressed me out learning about it i'm like well, i can never be a stand-up comic you know generally and this is years ago 30 years ago it would take people 10 years to get their first hour this kind of was the kind of the metric behind wow. it so you're mm-hmm. going into clubs and to work an hour i mean you know five minutes takes a long time to create so you're redoing that yeah. over and over you're redoing yeah. the timing every single aspect of it you're refining. And that's the reason why what you'll see is a, it's just like with a band. You know how their their first album is always amazing? And then their second album, you're kind of like, eh, you know, it was okay. Well, they had 10 years to make the first album. And it's the same with the stand-up comic, ex- excluding some really great ones that can yeah. continually do hour after hour, which those are a rarity. But their first hour is usually the best because they're refining it so much. But the thing about stand-up is it's you against the world. And essentially what stand-up is, is you're tearing things down. That's what makes it funny is you're pointing uh-huh. out the thing that you don't like and you're saying why you don't like it. And that's generally how you create laughs. In improv, it's the exact yeah. opposite thing. Improv uh-huh. is a you had to be there moment where as an audience, 
you are experiencing this for the first time and you're co-creating and the last the time and the right? last time yes so it's it's a hundred percent organic it's beautiful it's yeah. a, you had to be yeah. their experience and that's the reason why it does not translate to television you'll see it on uh -huh. tv and you go yeah i mean it was cute but when you see it live it's like no it was magical because yeah this thing that they had in the first three minutes of the show came back and at 68 minutes and it was the most unbelievably organic thing that the audience had that aha moment together and that's what makes that, it so beautiful and so how do you together. how do you yeah yeah how do you bring that into your life so mm -hmm. you'll find you know it's funny because we uh my wife and i did do yes and yoga the tenets and philosophies of yoga are so similar to improvisation it's unbelievable it's a you know yeah, yeah that yeah that i think most people would say wait a minute it's like, what are the two things that don't belong? Improv and yoga. Man, I'm telling <laughs> right? you what. Like ice cream okay. and ketchup. Uh, what does yoga teach, teach you? It teaches you to be not only flexible in your body, flexible in your mind and your thinking. In improvisation, uh -huh. what do you have to be? You have to be entirely flexible in your, your thinking because the, the five, six of us are coming up with this conversation right now and we're co-creating. We have no yeah. script. So we're improvising every single day and... If the, if the six of us elevate each other and make each other look good, we're going to have a great podcast. People are going to watch the right. podcast. They're going to share the podcast, and they're going to say, you got to watch this. If we spend the six of us tearing each other down, we're going to have people who aren't interested. They'll click out of it. But by us creating and elevating each other through conversation and by making each other look good and, you know, and sharing talents together, that's how we all succeed. And that's improvisation. Mm -hmm. And that's actually yoga. I mean, you know what? It's yeah. about... It's about the group mind. It's about we are all one. So it, they do have very similar similarities. It's fascinating. It is. It is super interesting, right? To as as metaphors, really. Uh, but but like not metaphors in some theoretical way, but but very right. actionable. Okay, so you were doing stand up, and then you started doing yep. improv. But how did you make a whole company out of it? And then like, oh my gosh, you are are. Um, um, mentoring CEOs and veterans. Yeah. I mean, you've got an amazing story as a as a teacher and as kind of a guru. So how did well, you go it, from the guy, you know, tearing people down to like well, lifting people up? It was a it was a fascinating journey. So I did stand up for seven years and I toured around the United States, lived in LA for a while. And honestly, LA, I was just like, this is this place is not for me. I just didn't really connect to it. And I came uh -huh. back to Texas, and when I came back, I had three very good friends who are in, in an improv show, uh, David Wilk, Frank Ford, and Troy Grant, very good friends of mine. I knew them from the stand-up world, and they said to me, we ought to do an improv show together. And I said, in true improv fashion, no, that sounds terrible. That's, <laughs> that's really what I said. I was like, I was like, that sounds like, because I really did. I thought the improv is so corny. It's rainbows and butterflies, and oh, the world is great, and all that. And my friend Dave is the most persistent people I know. He goes, no, you just let's do a show. He goes, it's going to be fun. And I go, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. And he said, do me a favor then. And I go, okay. He goes, will you at least be in the headshot? Because we only have four people in the headshot. And it's not going to look like, a, he goes, it's not going to look like a comedy group. And I go, they're not going to believe Dude, us. Uh, and they need your good luck. Uh, yeah, they needed your good luck. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so he called me that day and said, hey, we're taking the photos right now. We're across the street from you. Will you be in the photos? And I literally told him, I'm not taking a shower. I'm not going to do anything to my hair. And I'll walk down and be in the picture. And that's it. And if you see I our first headshot. Do we get a shot of that? I, I, I oh, want to see that picture. 
Yes, it's ridiculous. We, I will get you the shot. So I go down, I take the picture, and that's it. I'm like, good, okay, you got your thing, good luck. Well, uh-huh. the show the show was premiering February 28th, 1997. That was going to be the first show. A week before the show, I called Dave. I go, hey, man, when's your first show? And he said, February 28th, 1997. Or he didn't say it like that because he, he said yeah. it's next week. <laughs> My friend Dave doesn't say the date like that. It's tomorrow, May the 19th. No, he doesn't do that. But anyway... So he, uh, so he said, hey, yeah, it's next, it's next uh, Friday at uh, 11 o'clock. And I go, oh, cool. I'm, I think I'm going to come out and watch it. And he goes, well, you better. You're in it. And I go, no, I'm not. I go, I'm not going to be in it. <laughs> I go, I'm not going to be in the show. He goes, dude, you're already in the headshot. You can't not be in the show. Oh, my God. Oh, oh rascal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was very hustled. smart. Totally David, you got, got hustled. hustled. <laughs> I totally got hustled. And you know what? I love my friend Dave. He's my one of my dearest friends in the world. And I'm so thankful to him because I love what, your friend and, Dave now too. He's I mean, he awesome. sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> so we went. So that night we went to. I remember Dave and I went to a bar uh, before the show at 11 o'clock, and he said, "I'm going to teach you what this show is." And I go, "What oh, show?" God. And he goes, "I'm just going to." He goes, "I need you to host this show." He goes, "That's all you have to do is host it." Oh my god! And I go, I go, I don't even know what this is. And he goes, "I know. I I can teach it to you." And and we talked over a beer for about one hour before the show. And then the first night I walked out and did this show, I couldn't even imagine how bad it was. It had to be horrible. But uh-huh. so so we did this and he said, look, we're only going to do six weeks. He goes, we at least do the six weeks with us. And he goes, and then and then he goes, and then you're free to go. Well, we did six weeks. But about week number four, there was a writer for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram who came in to see the show. And he uh-huh. really liked it. And he did a feature article about us in the Star-Telegram. Oh, wow. And so everything started to blow up. We went oh, from having maybe 25 people in the show to selling out. So when wow. six weeks came, I told Dave, I go, okay, I did my six weeks. Good luck. Have fun. Best of luck on your journey. He goes, you can't quit now, dude. We're selling out. He goes, we're on a run. He said, do me a favor. Oh, give me God. one year. He goes, give me one year. And let's see what happens. Oh my God! One hour to one year. One that- hour to one. This guy it. is the this guy is the greatest salesman in the world. Totally, and, I love this guy. I was say he's a master so, of a foot in the door, yeah. door in the face. Oh, dude, yeah. you got it. You got. Totally. You have to have him on the show sometime because you'll, you'll him. love him. David, we want you. So at our 25th anniversary, I told him, dude, I got it. That's it. I can't do this anymore. This is. <laughs> I overstayed my welcome. Later. He's like, I just need another century. I just need another <laughs> I just, century. Yes. Just another century. So that's basically how we got started. And oh then my you, God, that's amazing. And then you asked, how did we get to the point? We literally used the philosophy of yes and all the way through building the business is what it was. People would come uh-huh. to us you know, and say, oh, I really love improvisation. Uh, do you guys have a training center? Well, we didn't have a training center, but All we right. went, yes. And we have classes starting in about a month. Check the website and you can sign up. And oh, then we God. started doing classes. Then a CEO came and said, you guys are really good at what you do. Have you ever thought about like hosting corporate meetings? Well, we'd never done that before. So we were like, yeah, and would like yeah. yours to be the first. And so it naturally and organically just began growing. And it it's led to really amazing things that in a million years I never would have ever seen coming. Like uh, Ugh, love that. many years ago when I was starting out, I was 16 years old and I had, uh, I was riding with my father in the car and my dad said, and I told my dad, it was when I finally decided I was going to tell him I wanted to be a comedian. And so I said, mm. dad, I, I think I want to be a comedian. And my dad said, you don't know anyone in show business. And I'm like, well, I don't think that that's a requirement to 
get into, you don't have to know somebody to get in, Dad. And he goes, right. and to his great credit, he was a Great Depression baby. And so he oh, he, uh -huh. he did not think I should be doing this, but he said, hey, if, if you're going to go into comedy, at least be a writer as a fallback job. Because to oh, my dad- okay. Writing was a fallback job, which I'm like, yeah, that's not a fallback job. Insurance oh, yeah, is a fallback job. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. So what ended up happening is many years, uh, fast forward about 2011, um, and we went and did a keynote address for Congress, the Democratic Congress. And Oh, no way. Uh, at, that, at that event, President Obama was there and Vice President Biden. And before uh -huh. I went down, I called my dad and I said, you'll never guess what I'm going to do. And I go, what? I told him. And he said to me, he goes, you know what? When you were 16 and you told me you were going to be a comedian, he goes, I honestly thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. And he goes, and you proved me wrong. And it was just one oh. of those moments where, yes, thank you. Good thank job, you. Papa. And so, and that's kind of the way the whole journey has been with improv. It, it really has. It's just, we said yes to things and we, we kept open to whatever the universe presented to us. And it was oftentimes far better than what I would have planned on my own. So it's pretty Respect remarkable. Respect the yes. I love that, David. Respect yeah. the yes. Oh, I got to write that down. Respect, Respect the yes. Yeah. Well, it's just funny because you started with no, no, no. And then, you know, Dave, in the, over the course of a beer, David, you're like, no, nah, we're going to do it. And then 25 years later. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, and, and Jonas knows Dave very well. So he, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. He, he really, Dave is a, is a very, he is, and he has, he has a yes, he has that yes and in his soul. The only other person I know. Yes who has an equal amount of yes and is Adi, my wife. She is the most yes and yeah. untrained person ever to yeah. the point of where it frightens me sometimes. Because uh, let me tell you a quick story real quickly. We're going to do yeah. a, a USO tour in um, uh, oh, cool. for the troops. Because nice. in, a, in, a, in a very, uh, I get a name drop now, just so Brian isn't the yeah. only one who got the name drop. Totally, yeah. We're, we're all going to just go yeah. gross in a little Brian, bit. But go ahead, keep going. Brian, I'm going to take your... <laughs> And I'm going to name drop. Uh, so President Bush asked us to Ooh, if we would do. Goodness, thank it's you. It's like the fourth thing wow. you've dropped so far, uh, yes. David. I'm not that I'm anybody's gonna, keeping score, I'm, but you're you're I'm, like way up here. I know, but Brian set the bar, and I thought I'm going way yeah. over. No, Brian. you got to top it. I you started know, high. You We're know, talking Mr. dropping Produ bombs, baby, Mr. Producer. You know, once he started dropping these. Anyway, so we go yeah. to do a USO tour. The weekend before we were going to leave, we we're going to be gone for about four months. It's the it's the day I met my wife. Uh, she came to the oh. show with some friends. After the show, we always take pictures with people who come up, you know, mm -hmm. because they like to do that. So she comes mm -hmm. up and we are the exact same size. And mm -hmm. we're both exact, like eye to eye. Well, on this night, she had on four inch heels. So she comes up to take a picture. And when she took the picture, of course, now she's like six foot two. Uh, uh. She decides she's going to crouch down. So she can be at my eye level. Yeah, it totally humiliates me in front of people. I'm like, I'm with people here for God's sakes. And I don't even know this woman. Yeah. And I said oh to her, I go, God. you know, you don't you don't have to crouch down with those heels. I go, you may be taller than me with the heels, but my personality's six foot five. That's what I told her. <laughs> and so Love it. No. So we took the picture and she leaves. And that's it. That was all there was to it. And so I go backstage uh -huh. and never before or since has this app ever happened, our musical director, Ray Sharp, says to me, Hey, did you think that that woman was pretty? And I go, Oh yeah, she's beautiful. And he goes, Do you want me to get her number? And I go, Now, how would you do that? And he goes, I used to date her sister ten years ago. And he goes, And I still have, I still have her sister's number. Well, what ended up happening was I got her number. She said yes, give him my number. Uh, when we went on the USO tour, I was texting her and I said, 
you know, I'm going to be in Paris at the end of this. You ought to meet me there and we'll have our first date there. And she said, yes. And I was like, oh my God. Like she totally That's called my bluff. That's a big yes, Anne. That's a big yes. So that was our first no, date slick. was in Paris. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Way to go. That the is power amazing. of yes, Anne. There you go. Yes, and I thought you were going to say, we're going to meet in Paris and I'm I'm going to borrow shoes from Prince. Oh, I like that. You that would be good too. Her. That's right. <laughs> but mine would have been from the band Kiss so from cool. the 70s. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that yeah, either one. That that's yeah. good. That is an amazing story, right? But that yeah, that just that oh, that being genuinely open to possibilities. Yes. Right? I mean, to your point, it is amazing how the universe rewards that, right? What I, and I love yeah. about that and somebody who has had trust issues in her life it to me what what underpins your ability to respect the yes is to trust right trust. and for a lot of people that's hard right and going you yeah. i mean I, I took like feverish notes over here i'm not gonna have to buy your book now because i have it all written down that's good <laughs> you know what book. andrea uh, no, i will but, send you the book only if it's signed otherwise i can get it myself i will, um, I will do that too the, <laughs> the, the yes you said yes leads you into the infinite unknown and that's, that's right. scary as hell it for is. most people, right? right? Yeah, I of mean, course. But that's, but, but the, that's where but the, magic happens. Yeah, like look, when I said 25 years with the show too, I I actually left the show. It was 2020 and I don't know if you guys know the world had some things happen in 2020. <laughs> and yeah, it's just- it I missed it. You, I was you watching might, Yes and Yoga, so I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah, but, go ahead. You might, but, but the thing was is that- um, I knew kind of then, even before everything happened in 2020, that it was time for me to step away. And sure. because I knew I had gotten all the nutrition I could out of that experience. I'd been there for 25 uh -huh. years. And was uh -huh. that hard and scary? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything that sure. I had built and been a part of, but I knew I have to practice what I preach. I've got to now take the next step so that I can grow and continue to grow. Because if you don't constantly challenge yourself and you don't step into that infinite unknown, you're going to... You're just going to keep doing the same things over and over again, and you're going to keep repeating the same patterns. And what happens yeah. is people people wonder why they get stuck. Like they're like, I don't get it. Like I can't get out of this rut. And I'm like, what have you done differently today? That you what did you do differently today that you didn't do yesterday? And 99% of people would have to say nothing. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, it's as simple as if you drive one way to work, drive a different direction. And go a different route yeah. because those simple things start to change the mechanisms in your brain to start to, yeah. because we have to start looking for new possibilities. If we're constantly seeing the confirmed possibility that we already know how it's going to unfold, we will never grow. And so that's yeah. what the infinite possibilities is. My therapist always says that brains work on quantity, not quality. So whatever's oh. going through them the most often, that's what sticks. Good oh, well. that's interesting. And, and you know, and, the, wow. and we all know this, that, that that whatever you think you become, that's, look, whatever's <laughs> happening in your life right now is the end result of your repeated thinking. So for everybody mm -hmm. who doesn't like the way their life is, what I try to illustrate to them is you have to change fundamentally the way you're thinking because you are expecting an outcome and our bias is going to find confirmation of that, whatever whatever that is. So our brains are constantly looking for confirmation of our thought processes. So if you don't like what is going on in your life, you have to fundamentally change your thought processes. And once you do that, yeah. 
and you do it over time, you will see the physical manifestation materialize in your life, but it does take time. So you do have to go through the, the period of fake it till you make it a little bit because- You, you yeah, do, we, and trust the yeah. process, right, Damien? I mean, like the thing that comes to me is, and this is just someone who's had to rebuild neural tissue in a way that, that most people haven't uh, after my stroke is like, it's neuroplasticity dipped in serendipity wrapped in possibility, right? Yep. And to John's point about like the quantity of a quality, 100% right, you need stimulation to, to exercise those neurons and let them let the magic unfold. That's yeah. where the, the beauty happens. Yeah, there's no question. Do you know, um, Andrea, you and I talked uh, briefly the other day and we were talking about uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I said is doing really, he's doing phenomenal work. If you're watching this podcast phenomenal. or listening and you, you, don't know, you don't know about him, learn what he's doing because he is teaching people how to frame a new reality. One of the things that he talks about that I've done for years is creating a mind movie where literally you literally create a mind movie and and I'm I have nothing to do with this company and I don't get any money from this but it's mindmovie.com what you do is you go in and you create taking photos things that you want to manifest into your life and then you can put a song in there that inspires you and go. you put all the pictures and the things that you are trying to achieve and you, you make a commitment that you're going to watch that every day for, I say at minimum, 40 days. You will be absolutely amazed at the things that will materialize and come into your life. It's going to come in your, into your life in a way that you don't see coming. And it's not going to look exactly like your mind movie. But the point of that is, is you're repeatedly training your brain to begin to start thinking differently. And by doing mm -hmm. that, by, by training your brain to do that, your brain now is looking for evidence of that. So if you're struggling financially and you start to believe in your heart, because manifestation is a simple thing, it's when intention meets belief. Whenever you intend oh, yeah. something and you believe it wholeheartedly, it will manifest into your reality. And the, so you got to think of like intention is, is, the, is the car, but belief is the spark plug because once you believe it, it's going to ignite. And so maybe at the beginning, you may not believe that it's, going to happen, you know, in your heart and soul, but the more that you intend it and the more that you see it, then you're going to start to see it in your reality. And then you're going to capitalize on it because the whole thing is, is that opportunities are there for us all the time. We just have to capitalize yeah. on them, you know? And, and, and I do want to like, this is a really cool thing that I saw recently. Um, there was a, there was a photo that was put up. And if I put it up in front of you guys right now, I would say, I want you to count all of the items that are red in this photo. And it pops up and you're going to see a cherry, a strawberry, an apple, and you're going to count it real quickly. And once the, the, it goes away, I say, okay, how many yellow things did you see there? And nobody knows. When you put it back, yeah. there's one, one banana. And why is that? Because you told your brain, look for the red item. And that's all you looked for. The banana was always there. You just didn't uh, look for the it. Germans have a, the Germans have a, a name for that, Weidermainhof. Right. It's like when you learn a new word yep. and how suddenly you're seeing that new word all over the place and you go, like, is it just here now or is it always there? Right. Yeah. I mean, yep. a little, little bit different. It's not exactly manifesting, but um, but, but it is in a way because you're you're witnessing yeah. it. Everything exists totally. in the universe right now. It's a matter of witnessing it. I was in a, a yoga studio once and um, I walked in and I told the woman who owned the studio, I go, oh, my God, you got the most amazing books here. I said, these books are unbelievable. And she goes, you know something that's really interesting? Most people don't see them. And I go, really? And she goes, most people walk in and never see the books on the shelf because they're, they're just not in the space to see them. She, she goes, 
you walked in and you were looking for books and you saw them. And I thought that's really fascinating. So. Well, totally. I mean, what we notice, where we place our intention. um, And by the way, I'm also a huge fan of uh, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza's. Joe, come be on our show. Oh, yeah. We want to spread your word. You should Uh, get him on. I mean, the data that he shares um, is compelling. I mean, what he's talked about, I think they're like, he they put like 9,000 people into MRIs and they can show physiologically what's happening in the brain. He uses a cute little uh, phrase. She's going to pop, right? Like there's yep. like, like the, um, that place. And I don't know the cerebral cortex, wherever it is, starts to light, like literally light up, which I mean, in fact, you know, even talking about this makes me think about the, uh, something that you shared on your show about the chakras and how the eighth uh-huh. chakra is an aura it is right and how yeah. i mean and he talks a lot about the you know the energy in it all yeah right so it gets i mean some people will go that's a little woo woo i feel like just because you can't see it or measure it with conventional measurement tools you can't knock it right well, because the, th- the evidence the is compelling I... if you've experienced it right and the other thing i would say too is that you can't see gravity either but if you jump out of a 10th story building you're going to fall to the ground I mean, That's there right. are there are universal laws that operate this this plane. It just is. There, are, you know, they yeah. say there are 12, 12 universal laws, and and those those laws are irrefutable. I mean, you know, you you have like the law of divine oneness, which is we are all one. I mean, the, these Amen. things are these are you know these are are tenets and and things. Uh, there's the law of vibration. There's the law of action. Law, law of correspondence. All of these things. So. Mm-hmm. One thing that is fascinating to me is as I've gotten older, I've gotten, o- I've gotten over the idea that there is right and wrong in the world. There really isn't. It's just you're making a mm-hmm. choice and a selection. And once yeah. you make a selection, you now have activated a series of laws and there's nothing that can happen but for those laws to play themselves out. So yeah. in any situation, if you don't like the way something is occurring, take your attention mm-hmm. away from it because wherever you're put- putting your attention, that is what's going to grow. So if there's something you don't like, that's the reason why I've always, thank you, Brian. Thank well, you. And, yeah, just to add to that, they say the grass is greener on the other side. One of my friends say the grass is greener where you water it. That, right? There you go. Absolutely. Hey. Where was that's the applause good. on that, Brian? Come on, little oh, yeah. applause for her, please. Come on, give it up for her. <laughs> good God, our producer's falling apart back there. I know, our producer, our producer just took a nap. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> David, you know, I, I hate to, to cut into, um, uh, I wouldn't say Pollyanna is a word you like, but um, there are also people of the other persuasion who may say, well, it's a defined and dandy, but that doesn't apply to my life. My okay, life and I would, is, I would agree with them. It's a no but life, right? Yeah, I would, so, I, I would 100% agree with them. The, the differences that okay. I would say is they would take no responsibility for where they are. I would say, yes, it's not in your life because you have had a systematic pattern of thinking that has continually brought you the same evidence over and over again. We have to fundamentally change the way you think. And back to what John was talking about, you have to you have to have more thoughts of belief in the possibilities than you do in disbelief of the possibilities for there to be seismic change. It has to it has to occur. And the thing I would say to them is you have had a way of thinking your entire life. The universe has corresponded to your way of thinking your entire mm-hmm. life. And so if you're willing, and if you're willing to change and be open, we have to start fundamentally changing the way you look at life, and then you're going to see the physical manifestation. But I'm a great believer you have to take the first step with the universe. It's definitely a dance, but 
but the universe yeah. is waiting for you to dance. And and even more than the dance, David, it's also I know uh, you and Wilk and uh, Frank and Troy are uh, as founders are also huge advocates for the idea of the risk and the fulfillment in life being about the leap, absolutely take, not the landing, right? Absolutely. Frank talks about that a lot. He always he always says it's not about the landing; it's about the leap. You got to take the leap. You're going to land somewhere, but you got to jump and you got to go. And if you don't jump, you're going to stay in the same place. And, and is it scary? Yes. But guess what? We're all afraid of it. So that should make people feel empowered. It's like even the greatest entrepreneurs in the world are terrified. They just are, but they're willing to mm -hmm. take the risk to just go. And I think you start like like any, any uh, muscle, right? Where you, I mean, certainly for me as an entrepreneur, um, that that feeling of fear and overwhelm, it changes over time, right? It where does. you learn to trust, right? Yeah. And there's a cycle that you develop where um, confidence and success beget confidence and success. You just have to have a tolerance for some missteps and failure along the way. But if you can uh, tolerate that, and a lot of people can't tolerate, you know, that's back right. to what did you describe? Taking the leap into the infinite unknown, then yeah. you right, then you never do it. Right. But if you can, then if, if what I've experienced, and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs would agree with this, the universe starts giving us back to the the universe rewards, the yes, right? No, the, qu I'm no question. To try this and yes. it becomes cyclical, right? right. Yes. Uh, there's no question about that. And the thing is, is that I think great entrepreneurs, they enjoy the game of it too. They understand that, yeah, there's going to there's gonna be some setbacks. You know, like we're talking about... Um, I actually live, we live in a piece of family property that's like five acres and it's been in the family for, for a long time and two and a half of it is commercial. And we've come to this point where we're like, we got to, we got to do something with this commercial. So we're talking about putting a little coffee shop on it to build some community in the, in oh, the city. Cool. I uh -huh. said, let's have a place where people can come and have a cup of coffee and talk. Um, one thing that's kind of going on is my wife and I have both said, let's not, let's not be afraid of the game. Let's just embrace the game. There's going to be setbacks. You know, there's going to be, uh, you know, city council may try to stop something and all the, you can make up all these things that might happen. We'll deal with it when we get there. Just in, enjoy the process of it because that is the whole key is that don't worry so much about the destination. Begin the journey. I mean, that's, that's yeah. critical. And drink a yeah. lot of coffee. And drink a lot of coffee, and, and yes. Drink, yeah, I was going to say, I want to, I mean, like, inveterate <laughs> coffee drinker here. Uh, let me know when it's open. I want to come and be one of your first customers. I, I hope you are. I will give you a, a book and a cup of coffee. Yes. Amazing. That's going to be yeah. worth, it's going to be worth the trip. Let me ask you this. Uh, usually I ask this a little later in the show, but what you described is is something that I've really tried to embrace in the relationships in my life and um, and through the relationship coaching and so forth. I've been developing a framework called uninvited Buddhas, mm -hmm. right? And an uninvited Buddha, typically it's a person, but it can be any setback. It can be a condition. It can be an experience in our lives, maybe our, our relationships with our bodies, right? A lot of people don't feel comfortable, you know, with, with their own bodies, unfortunately. Um, and so I think of an uninvited Buddha is a, a really important teacher that typically we resist, we resent, Right. And they keep coming back. Right. So when I uh -huh. think of starting a coffee shop or, or almost any venture where there's going to be that setback, that frustration, and so many people resist it, they just want it to go away. It's a pain in the neck. It's a, you know, like it is, um, 
you know, it's it's an obstacle, right? Yeah. But the truth is yeah. for, you know, the real Buddhas in our life, they are teaching us something if Absolutely. we can just be open-hearted and open-minded enough to get it. So talk to me about one of your uninvited Buddhas. Is well, there somebody that comes to mind? It's fascinating you say that because honestly, I live my life doing exactly what you said is that when somebody comes into my life and if I don't, necessarily maybe like how it's going, I always ask myself, what are they teaching me? What is inside of me that, that they are showing me back to me? And so yeah. I don't, I really try to make a point of never getting in the point of saying where I don't like somebody or I'm blaming them. Uh, do you know, uh, uh -huh. do you know about the, uh, the Hawaiian prayer called Ho'oponopono? Ho'oponopono is a I've very, mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing. And essentially what it is, is if somebody's coming to you and if somebody's sick around you, if somebody is, you know, or is, or is troubling you in some ways, they're showing you something that's inside of you. So what the Hawaiian prayer is, is you say, I'm sorry, because you're saying, I'm sorry yeah. that what is existing inside of you is also existing inside of me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to see it. And then it's, please forgive me. Forgive me for this thing that is inside of me that is also inside of you. And that's how we are connecting. And then you say, thank you. Thank you for bringing this blind spot to me. Thank you. And then the final thing is, I love you. And what you do is wow. by healing that thing inside of you, that Buddha that you're talking about, that wonderful teacher, that Buddha will see you heal and will either move out of your life or adapt to this new reality that is you. So I'm a great believer in taking personal responsibility for whatever is going on. Like if somebody honks at you in traffic, where was your attack thought that came first? Because I'm a great believer in the attack thought. You had an attack thought mm. and th they are responding to your attack thought. Um, I've done it Ooh. in my own life where somebody has come up to me seemingly out of nowhere when I realize after reflection, no, 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 I had the attack thought first and energetically, and it may not even be necessarily at that person, but that person energetically understood that I attacked. So therefore the attack was coming back to me. And these are, you know, these are higher level type things, but if we yeah. are trying to change community and we're trying to change the way people are behaving with one another, we, we have to take responsibility and assume that whatever is going on in the outside world, I'm responsible for it and it's up to me to fix it, no matter what. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. You know, it's, fa it's fascinating. I shouldn't tell you this on a podcast. We don't even lock the doors to our house. We really don't. Oh, I'm totally coming over and pranking hey. you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally so, coming over and pranking so, you. Well, now I'm going to move once this podcast comes out. But but I'm You're just right, like, exactly. no one, uh, because honestly, I really do believe we have so much more power than people really understand. We, yes, we have, that's one of my favorite phrases. We, we all have so much power that we, we realize. We do. We have really unbelievable power. And, for, and so for everyone who is lamenting about the state of the world, I say to them, change your world. And guess what? Yes. When you change your world, you're going to change the world. But the goal is not to change the world. The world is going to operate. The world is going to, we live in a plane that we live in a dualistic plane. It's a plane of polarities. It's hot. It's cold. It's high. It's low. It's always going to be there no matter what. I got news for people. We're going to have war in this world. It's the way it works. But we don't necessarily have to put our attention on war. I mean, uh, Mother Teresa said so famously one time, Somebody asked her to go to a war rally, and she said, I will not go to a war rally. I will go to a peace rally. And because hey, David, she, yes. I, sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I want to stick with, but I want to make sure we talk about in the spirit of Mother Teresa and in spirit of kindness, 
loving kindness. It maps to Ho'oponopono as well. But this idea that you can make a change in your community. And I, I think it's really important that we think in terms of kindness and your example of like indelible example of how Secret Blue Butterfly came to be. Yeah. And yeah. about that journey of relationships, you're really building relationships through yeah. kindness. So I it was, to hear more about that because I think it maps to what you're talking about. So uh, in 2014, uh, my kids, who they were young at the time, they were probably 10, 11. My daughter was probably nine. We, we decided to go for a bike ride and we were riding through the park. And as we were riding through the park, we looked down and on uh, the sidewalk, somebody in beautiful chalk had created this beautiful like a mosaic. And it said, kindness is a language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. And so my, yeah. my we stopped and we looked at my daughter, who's I think she was nine at the time. She said, who, Daddy, who do you think did this? And I go, you know, I don't know, but it was such a beautiful act of kindness. I go, look how that they touched our day and we have no idea of who they were. That's really cool. And she goes, yeah, it really is. And I go, hey, you know, I was just thinking, I wonder if we did something like this. I go, wonder if, if like we did one kind act a day and uh, and we just see kind of what the ripple effect was. And I go, maybe we could leave something to let them know that that um, that, you know, that they were visited by something. And in true yes and fashion, I go, you know, like uh, like Secret Santa does that. And, and my daughter goes, well, what should we do? And I go, you remember when we were in uh, Costa Rica? I go, what did you love more than anything? And she goes, the blue butterfly. And my son goes, uh-huh. I got an idea. It's the secret blue butterfly. I go, yeah, what oh. we can do is I go, we're going to. Uh, I said, I'm going to have uh, Brenda, who is our social media person and did all our graphics and stuff like that. I go, I'm going to have her make little cards that say Secret Blue Butterfly. You've been visited. This is a random act of kindness. I go, we'll get Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I go, we'll set up a website. And I go, let's just start doing one a day and see what happens. And and we did. We started, we'd put $5 on it. We'd take $5 on somebody's car. We'd buy somebody a cup of coffee. And, oh, cool. And then we gave people the chance to write in and get their own butterflies. And within six mm-hmm. months, that had spread to 80 countries. People were writing in, wow. showing, showing where their Holy butterfly- smokes. The thing that was the, the most powerful for me was, is my kids got to see that from the very beginning. They were a part of creating that kind of thing. And I said, that one act of kindness, there are people all over the world doing it just because you took the initiative, just because you took the chance. And we all have that power. We can all do that every single day of our life. But we have wow. to we have to take the first step. No one else is going to do it. Um, totally. No I mean, I feel like every, just to, just to, first of all, that is amazing. Applause for that. Thank you. Thank Love you, it. Brian. Thank uh, you, Brian. Thank and, you. And uh, I mean, just this whole uh, notion that, like we're all so often we're waiting for the other person to make the move, whether it's in a marriage, like we're waiting for them to change, we're waiting for them to do better. In in so many, uh, you know, relationships, it's like we're like you say we're we've we've got more power than we realize, and so many of us misplace it, and we don't want to make the first move. But what right. you're saying, it's incumbent upon us to make the first it, move. Uh, it's imperative. Like, let change, I mean, it's like the Gandhi quote of "Let change." start with me yes be the change that i want to see right you know uh yeah many uh a couple years ago i was uh i was hosting this this thing called um uh military may it is for the the military and i i host this thing and i was interviewing a guy his name was kenny thomas and kenny was one of the soldiers that was part of black hawk down remember when black hawk down crashed yeah he was yeah he was one of the boots on the ground soldiers and so i asked him i go when that was happening what went through your mind and he goes 
I saw the co the helicopter go down. I knew our pilot was there. And the first thought that went through my mind was somebody should do something about that. And then he goes, and then the next thought mm -hmm. that went through my mind was, I'm the somebody, what am I? And he goes, and instantly I started moving. And he goes, so I think it was six or eight of them went in and they were able to extract that pilot out of the plane and essentially save his life. And so what wow. he always teaches when he speaks is that somebody is you. And if we mm -hmm. all start to just take that attitude and stop waiting for everybody else and we start doing it ourselves, then we're going to start to see the change that we want. And, and you know, I, yeah. I think that there, there are, I think there has been a systematic um, messaging that has been conveyed to people over time to intentionally try to take our power away. They've intentionally mm -hmm. tried to divide us. They do it through the media. They do it through movies. They do it mm -hmm. through TV. Mm -hmm. They do it through social media. They, they create a lot of things because essentially what, what the powers that be that hold, you know, we're talking about a very, very small group of people who have power and money. Okay. The last thing in the world they want is a united populace to say, we're not going to do this stuff anymore. 7.8 mm -hmm. billion of us have incredible power over 10,000 people who are running the world. And we yeah. can make that kind of change. It just means yeah. we stop separating ourselves. I mean, and that's that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, totally. You know, we are far more yeah. alike. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'd like to give uh, a round of applause to Brian, the producer, if you guys don't mind. Big hand yeah, for Brian. Yeah, round of applause for Brian. Brian, <laughs> he's doing awesome. You are doing awesome. Brian, we could yeah, not have I the mean, applause without you. Yeah, no, we totally couldn't. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, I love all, that. Andrea just has like a tiny desk concert going on. <laughs> I know, I totally right do. on the other side yeah. of the desk. <laughs> all those all those people um i want to come back to what you when you and i were chatting the other day because when you talk about like um how we all have so much more power than we realize we have to act on it um you know this whole business of unity and oneness and it sounds for some it sounds very utopian and um impractical and unrealistic right which i i feel is utter bullshit right i well, think it's a choice well even if it is make. utopian what's the matter with that well, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why not have uh, peace so, on earth yeah. now? I mean, right. And what's and the matter with that? Now. You prefer war and strife? <laughs> yeah. You know, I always find that really interesting that people have no problem watching movies about killing people and, and horrible things, mm -hmm. just terrible things that people are putting into their mind. And I'm like, yeah. what's the what's the matter with seeing people do nice things? I don't understand why that's a bad thing. It's like the Elvis Costello song. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? I mean, it's really simple. It, it's so it? simple. And honestly, I think there are far more people like us that are afraid to say it out loud for appearing to be, as you said, uh, what was uh, what was the word you used? Pollyanna-ish. That's Pollyanna right. And I'm like, maybe we need more Pollyannish people. Maybe we need more. Oh, totally. Well, that's what we're, we're leading a movement. Right. David. We're leading right. a movement. Totally. Right? I mean, fostering the human connection. Totally. And I, you know, I, I, you know, like it used to be cool to maybe be divisive and, uh -huh. and to be a rebel. And um, my son and I are actually listening to Mar to um, Tom Sawyer right now. It's an audio version. It's amazing. I love it. I just the, read it. I love this. 
oh wow yeah small world like he's you know it's it's so cliche to say he's a literary genius yeah it is such a joy i'm laughing out loud the entire time yes i mean talk about the ultimate og hustler yes it is tom sawyer do you know do you know uh, i actually i actually just finished huck finn too i did back to back um and then and then i and then i hit uh to kill a mockingbird right after that i'm in this i don't oh, know what, i'm into this southern southern genre apparently well, yeah, I mean, and they're so, I mean, but even, you know, when I think about when these boys were allowed to go swimming and, and they'd smoke and they'd drink and, and it's like when they, when they could do that without any resistance, it became, it just be, it didn't, it wasn't cool anymore. No right? question. And so it just, you know, when I think about um, how we are socially conditioned, right? I mean, I feel like that is a, a factor and maybe in people just um, not wanting to be vocal about about their beliefs, and yeah, you know, I also feel like our lives have been hijacked by technology and and no so many distractions, and we're all so freaking busy. Yeah, right. You know, so we may be thinking these things, you know. I, you know, we're just too busy. I was thinking about, you know, it's it's fascinating because I, I heard you guys talking about technology. I I will not use technology at the beginning part of the day, no matter what. And I mean, get up early. Oh, good for you. I, I'm up before the sun rises. Uh, I do a, a meditation practice and things like that. Um, I think if the the more you put those phones down, the more you go to dinner without a phone, you know, go to dinner without a phone. You know, it used to be we always used totally. to eat dinner without a phone. Always. I don't know when it changed that this became acceptable when we're eating when we're eating dinner. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's so I mean, in, in so many ways, it's just rude. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're so distracted and and it and, you know, the the social fabric, that convention of of like, you know, how we expect to behave with each other, where we actually attempt to pay attention. In fact, I want to come back to your book, Listen, Laugh, Connect, because I feel like you talk about this whole business of listening. It's like, um, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, yeah. what the what the frick? Yeah. You know, it's like, and and you're right. I mean, it be it has become so normalized to do that. It takes, uh, I would say, and you know, let's hey, uh, uh, open relationships team, let's come up with a challenge or something that we are committing to to just to knock it off, yeah. right? And I have two kids, and I'm so guilty of being on so my. So you want to hear a good one that uh, some of the kids do? Yeah, um, let's hear it. So, uh, I mean, this is actually probably old now, but. Uh, everyone would go to a dinner and you all put your phones on top of each other. And basically, whoever is the first one to grab their phone to do something has to pay the bill. That's great. Oh, yeah. That's great. Oh, that's a date. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. Well, it, it's, a it's a decision, right? And I feel like we kind of ultimately um, become, um, you know, creatures of habit and yield to, you know, kind of this this perpetuated new norm where we're all just using our phones and it's somehow considered acceptable but it's it's just not acceptable it's also now what we're built to do that that's what it always makes me think of we're we're built to connect and talk over dinner like that's what we're yeah built as humans to do it's like putting regular gas in a diesel car like it's we're not built to sit and scroll on a phone when there's another person across from us but it's become yeah. the default and i think that that's a huge part of why we have these issues like you were talking about at the top about people feeling very lonely and very disconnected and because we've gotten into these habits that as human beings i don't think we're really built for you know, no not... we are built for connection i mean bio biologically i mean when i think about 
from how we co-regulate uh, by looking each other in the eye to touch to we co-regulate with our energy and emotions, right? And uh, I feel like we just, we, we are all so complicit. Like, let's be real. And it starts with me. Like, we are so freaking complicit in um, this breakdown, right? I would say it's, it's especially bad for parents. And, you know, and I just, I guess, I don't know. I feel like we need, we need to be um, really uh, disciplined so that we're not doing this anymore, right? I mean, we do it for ourselves and we do it for the people that we're with, but to hold that line, right? Because I'm guilty of it all. So often I'm on my phone or my computer while eating a meal and my kids are right next to me and it's so lame. You, you know what's interesting about that, NJ? I mean, imagine a world where we humans, animals, didn't have phones or devices and instead our pets did have devices and were addicted to those devices and using them all the time. What do you think we would <laughs> we would say about their behavior? We would say they are addicted, a mm -hmm. and they're insane. Yeah. They're yeah. So <laughs> far away from their their natural behavior as animals. So there's yeah. something really broken here and wrong. And I think it the, the same holds true for us. We have to I'm trying to get a visual of, of my cat roaming around <laughs> here somewhere. Maybe we'll get a, a picture of her on the screen. You know, like glued to a, a phone, I'd be like, "Cupcake, what's the matter with Watching you?" Watching cat videos. <laughs> yeah, all day long. Yeah. Um. All right. I want to come back to your book. Um. Congrats on your fifth book, uh, David. Listen, laugh, connect. We talked about um some of the tenets of that, but I'd really love for you just to give the rundown because I feel like there's so many good actionable takeaways. Right. Uh. So can you just uh just just jump in there? Yeah. You know, the way this kind of came about is I would be backstage at events a lot of times and executives would always come up to me and ask me, don't you get nervous walking out on stage? And I was like, no, not really. And, and they were, mm -hmm. were always surprised by that. And they said, would you write a book sometime and just explain even how to help with conversations? And I really... I thought really it's very simple. Like if you think about it, uh -huh. if we break uh, communication down, four steps. Number one, listen, it is uh -huh. the most critically important thing we can do. How many times have you truly felt really listened to? Like somebody really looking you in the eye and listening and hearing what you're saying. It's not very often. We really don't. Uh, the second thing is, is uh, you wanna build on the pertinent information of the conversation. You don't wanna make the conversation about you you're actually co-creating a conversation and you're sharing information back and forth. One person gives a perspective, you give your perspective, but you don't try to hog it. These again are, are improvisational techniques. The third thing is you elevate the conversation because it's people, a lot of times, most people don't know they're being negative, but people, if you listen to their conversation, you listen to how they speak, most times it's very, very negative. And if you take it upon yourself to just to, to take it and be a little bit positive and see the, the good thing that can come out of anything as opposed to tearing people down or gossiping or doing these other things. Instead of gossiping, creative elements that can make the world better, your conversations better. And then the last thing is just laughing. I mean, we've got to get back to where we can laugh once again and not take ourselves so seriously. We have gotten to the point where everybody's offended all the time. You can't say anything. Nobody can joke around anymore. Everybody's getting their feelings hurt. I'm not saying you be mean or you be malicious with people, but I think all of us need to start just just lighten up and have some fun again. You know, I think that is a critical element of it. And so that was the idea for the book. And and I, I when I titled it, I titled it Listen, Laugh, Connect, a comedian's itsy bitsy guide to great conversation, because I was like, I'm not even gonna make this long. I'm gonna make this a fifty page book because 
Oh wow! Because I, I, that's all. It's fifty pages. Because I was like, I want everyone to be able no, to. No, I'm read definitely this. reading it. I wasn't <laughs> sure before, but no, I'm definitely now, reading it. Well, and the idea was that that I don't want people to say you can't do it because anybody can read a fifty-page book, and I, and I honestly uh-huh. believe that's how simple we can make conversations again. We can just get back to those basic things, and when we do, when uh-huh. we take responsibility for our own speech and how we talk, uh, you know what's what's funny is that. If you change the way you approach conversations and you start to elevate them in a positive way, it will probably not instantly change all your conversations. It will take time. Mm-hmm. But if the people mm-hmm. that are around you start to notice that you've changed the tenor of how you speak, they will change the way they speak. Mm-hmm. They won't even know it'll happen. It's going to be a very gradual mm-hmm. thing. I'm going to I'm going to talk about real quick. This is an interesting thing that I was I read once. Do you know Byron Katie's work? Oh, I love Byron Katie. Okay, she's love wonderful. Her. Okay, she has a book called- We need Lo- Byron Katie on the show. So you do. Okay, let's you, keep going. you need all these people and you need to get rid of me, honestly. People. Any, Honestly, there are so <laughs> no, many- No, we wind back. There are so many really again great, again. great people that you need to have on. Byron Katie, uh, she's a great believer. Her big thing was loving what is. Whatever is happening yep. is what's happening. And her big thing was, if I don't like something that's happening, change myself right. and it will change. And she talked about how- Yeah. She talked about how she would get so frustrated with her kids because her kids would just leave their socks in the middle of the living room. And she would tell the kids- It was a religion. It was like, what was it? How did she describe that? I can't recall exactly, but I love- All right, but it was something like, yeah, it was, but how she phrased it was really funny and relatable to a a lot of moms and dads. Yeah, and she said, it would drive me crazy. So I'd say, pick up your socks and they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And then she said, I finally realized, oh, they don't need to pick up their socks. I need to pick them up because- the socks are bothering mm-hmm. me. They're not bothering them. And she goes, yep. so they would leave their socks on the floor and I would go by and I would pick them up and I'd put them in the laundry. They'd leave them on the floor. I'd pick them up. I'd put them in the laundry. They did it forever. And then finally one day, they stopped leaving their socks on the floor because they started realizing, they started seeing my behavior and then it bothered me and they changed on their own. She said, but it's because I changed me. And I noticed it with my kids once as I started just going, I guess it's my job to do the dishes every night. How do I know? Because they're in the sink and no one else cares and it only bothers me. So apparently my job is to do the dishes. So I started doing the dishes Uh and you know what? They changed and they started doing the dishes. And even now I cook, our son does the dishes. It's a teamwork type thing. We don't even talk about it. He just, he knows that I'm outside cooking dinner and I do it and then I come in and by the Uh end he's, he's at the kitchen sink doing dishes. No, I love that. But I, to me, what's so profound, and I, I'm a, I would say, I can almost say it sounds uh, sanctimonious, but I, I would say I'm almost a Byron Katie scholar because I've, I've read her work and I, yeah. I've studied it and I practice. I mean, crucially, I've practiced it. And what is interesting to me is, um, if, if you go to the degree that she is espousing, the change that you make, it is. Um, say massive change in energy right uh-huh. and i mean we my husband and i are our marriage has has transformed i say this quite sincerely if sanjay was here he'd be like uh-huh and and my friends are like you know because i've been bitching and moaning about him for a long time i mean he's wonderful in all these ways except for when he's not right for all you married people out there <laughs> like your spouse <laughs> amazing except for when you want to kill him uh where's <laughs> a, i need a fork like ah fork in the neck <laughs> And so my friends have been asking me, you know, because I've been like, oh, my gosh, like our marriage has never been better. And they're like, well, 
like what's going on and i i joke and it's like oh i changed then it's like you know i'm the last place i looked right and let me be clear um you know there's no abuse or any anything crazy but it is you know for a lot of you know we're both very big personalities and pretty intense and it was just this like vicious round and round where we both felt um hurt and um you know we didn't we didn't give each other enough love and it's like the bumper sticker the morales the the beatings will continue until the morale improves Uh so what i would do would be like oh i i am not feeling you know loved enough or you know i'm feeling like he's just whatever he's doing is wrong so then what i would do is retreat and you know block him out and and guess what he's doing like by the way it's not it's not improving the relationship now he's really hurt and really freaking pissed off right is he is he treating me better uh no (laughs) right so i use it's like really you know back to we're in open relationships here folks I say this about my marriage and and how it is uh, applied to relate the relationship with my kids, with my parents, with so many people that I care about where there was, again, that uninvited Buddha thing um, where there was a disconnect. And I felt whatever, you know, maybe not even angry, but just somehow disconnected or, or there was some kind of tension or frustration. So I just I really want to. Uh, place that exclamation point, David, on what you're saying in terms of how even some of those, um, you know, the the thorniest relationships ha- in my life have been improved by a, a really adapting and, and, and not just like, hey, let me, not, not just I'm going to read about it, like I'm going to do the work. And she calls it, Kate, Byron Katie calls oh, it the, the work. work. Yes. I'm going to internalize it and make that change, right? Because I feel like like what I used to do would be kind of like, all right, I'm just going to listen and, um, you know, kind of tolerate what, what he's saying or, you know, whatever is going on with my kids. But there's a, a whole, oof, I don't want to say quantum because that's so, such a cliche thing, but there is a whole other level of, oh my gosh, let me genuinely accept this, right? And it doesn't make me a doormat. Uh-huh. Like it is so profoundly empowering to say, you know, same with the socks. Like I'm picking up socks at my house, but I don't have the venom when I'm picking them up. And I feel right. like it's that energy, right? And it makes me think about it, your house too, because you weren't doing the dishes pissed off and your son felt like, I mean, I got to believe something energetically was happening and does happen at your house, just like at my house. Absolutely. Where it's like, I'm I'm showing up differently, and that is that there's something really profound that is game changing, um, yeah. and and it's real. But it, but that change and my whole point, you're like, oh my god, she's talking forever. No, not is, at all. It started with me, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And well, so I yes. Love that. And, and the for, other thing, the other thing that I like the uh, I liked what you said is that uh, for your audience, everyone needs to understand we are energy. That's what we are. We are made up of energy, and that's that's yeah. all we are. So knowing that. What do you want your energy to be? You know, because mm-hmm. everyone on the planet is reacting to your energy. So if you have that uninvited Buddha that's coming in, they're reacting to your energy. Thank them as a teacher because they are coming to you and showing you a blind spot that you cannot see in yourself. And when you start to honor them as a teacher, not only are you going to transmute the relationship and make it better, but you're going to heal yourself, which is all this is about. 
The one thing I love about Byron Katie, there are four questions, which I know you know it. Uh, the uh -huh. first question in any situation when you begin thinking something, is it true? And when people are really redlining and they really are, they, they're hanging on to their feelings, they're going to say it's absolutely 100% yeah. true. He is an idiot. That's right. He, he is, definitely is an, an idiot. He's an idiot. It's 100% true. The next question is beautiful because it's like, can you know 100% certain that he is an idiot? And if you're being honest, you would say, well, not 100%, but 99.9. Not 100%, right? Not now a, I got to confess, not, maybe now, he's not being an idiot. Maybe he's not being an idiot. Maybe he has a point of view. The third mm -hmm. thing is, what when you think the thought that he's an, audi uh, uh, an idiot, how does that make uh -huh. you feel? Angry, upset, shitty. blah, 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 yeah. shitty, dead. I, uh, you're going to listen. Yeah. And the so fourth, like a victim. Like, like, how dare he do that to me? How dare? And right? then the fourth one is the most beautiful. Mm -hmm. What would you be without the thought that he's an idiot? Free. Free. That's right. Free. That's right. Yeah. You would be free. And then and then not mm -hmm. only that, your your common humanity would start to settle in. Because look, we all we all have unique perspectives. And even though you may not understand yeah. your husband's unique perspective, he has a point of view. Yeah. And it's about trying to understand and it's yeah. okay for him to have a point of view that's different than yours. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, just because we're married doesn't mean we have to believe one hundred percent what every what the other person thinks about everything. But we can honor their differences, their different opinions. And yeah. And and that's the big thing. And that's why her work is is really it's she was one of the big ones for me. She she put it in tangible terms how to do that deep inner work with four simple questions. So if you get her on the show, congratulations. Because she really has done she's doing great work as well. David, thanks so much for bringing up Byron Katie. She is such a guru. She's such an amazing teacher. So for anybody who's not familiar with her work, uh, Loving What Is is her seminal book. I think she has maybe three or four others. But yeah, and she I does. would say, I mean, as I said just a few minutes ago, don't just read it and put it aside. Practice mm -hmm. it. She describes her teachings as the work. And it can be transformative if you really, pra I mean, like like yoga is a practice that mm -hmm. work and there are others that do uh, similar kinds of things a little bit of it like what I love about her is her framework is very actionable right but I think yes. there's a lot like in Wayne Dyer and um, Mary yep. Williamson I mean I, there are a lot of really wonderful teachers that the you know e you know even with Joe Dispenza to a certain extent right I mean there's mm -hmm. a lot of teachers that are kind of pointing folks in the same direction but I I do particularly fancy her very simple and uh, compelling way of, of breaking it down. And it, and to me, it's the most empowering thing because it brings it back to what am I doing about it or not doing about it, right? So it's profoundly empowering. I use this all the time. In fact, my friend Frank, he, he thinks it's my quote because I say it all the time, <laughs> but it's not. I always say, I'm a lover of reality. How do I know that was supposed to happen? Because it did. Yeah. And when you start to, when you can put it under that prism, you get so far less reactive. Look, you either have a belief that the, this universe is perfectly orchestrated or you don't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter which one you believe. But if you do have the belief that everything is perfectly orchestrated, and you know my prayer that I say every single day is, bring me today whatever's for my, my greatest good and the greatest good of all. Mm. Well, if something I happens throughout my day that I, that I don't, may not like, quote unquote, I always know, how do I know that was supposed to happen? Because it did. And it's answering my prayer. This is for my greatest good and the greatest good of all. So therefore, I accept it. And 
And I am, and I really think that, you know, and no matter what your faith construct is, um, you either believe you're alone in this universe or you believe that we're one unified field. Mm -hmm. If you believe we're one unified field, what I certainly do, I know that everything is being orchestrated perfectly for everyone on this planet. So therefore, it's not my job to worry about what's happening. My job is just to show up, do the best I can, and mm -hmm. be a lover of reality. And, uh -huh. and I think that when you can change that prism, it, it can be it can it can change your world in profound ways. Yeah, it is absolutely empowering to have that uh, that perspective. Right. Uh, I would just add on to that quickly by saying what I've learned as a very I always say type AAA controlling Aries that when those things where I'm like, oh, crap, here it comes again. Not what I wanted, not what I expected. Um, I, and you know, wisdom, you go, most people with the SA age become a little wiser, at least we try, um, to take that longer term view and say, okay, this feels really tough. It's not what I wanted, but let me see how this is going to unfold. Let me just trust that there is something around the corner and that corner may be long, maybe several months. Um, but what I have found in my life is taking that long-term view Again, it's underpinned. I'm not sure why I'm pointing with <laughs> I'm pointing to people with my pen. Sorry about that. Um, but underpin. I mean, it, it really is underpinned by trust, right? Yes. By saying, okay, the, and it may even suck right now. Like I might just be righteously mm -hmm. pissed off. But if I can kind of breathe and go, I can trust. I can't see it now, but I'm going to trust that there's this thing that's going to unfold for me you know, or my family or whatever, you know, for us, for the greater good, like mm -hmm. you say, yes. down the road, that it's a buffer to the, oh, God damn it, I'm a victim right now. Like that happened right. to me. And that is not fair. Right. I mean, it just right. boom puts you in victim mentality. But all you have to do is change the preposition from to me to for me. Exactly. And when you change mm -hmm. the preposition and it's and, the, and, the, and our first book was called Happy Accidents and the whole idea behind happy accidents in an improv scene a happy accident is the disruption of the routine that is actually when an improv scene is going to get good it's when Take something off. that you didn't ex yeah well something you didn't expect to happen the disruption uh -huh. of the routine that's when a great improviser is like that's it we call them happy accidents because in your life it happens all the time where yeah. something that you didn't see coming takes you in a trajectory that you never would have went, but it leads you to the place that you needed to go. Sometimes we need to get a nudge from the universe. We just do. Sometimes we're so mm -hmm. like uh, just built into our own theme of what life should be that we, we should be, can't get right? out of it. But yes, you, like you yes. just should. Yeah, like Jonas will just say, should. hey, let's not shoot on each other. Right? Yeah, I mean, I love totally. that. <laughs> yeah, do not do that. We do not do that here on Open Relationships. No shooting on right. each other. There's there's no shooting. That's right. And, and, and it's could. You could yeah. do this, but you yeah. shouldn't do anything. You could yeah. do it. You have the choice to do it. And that's that's yeah. what I think is really important. And so it's just, again, all of this is just changing the prism of how you're perceiving things. Amen. If you can just get, a, if you can just get out of this whole, I'm a victim, poor me, blah, blah, you know, that... <laughs> That story that you're you can tell it, but you don't hey, have David, to. David, now that you know, I'm going to punk you and go to your house, and you decided to move after yes. the call. Can you just be totally. my neighbor here? Uh, I will. <laughs> I promise I won't I'm punk moving. you here. I just want you to be my neighbor. Uh, yes, I'm going to move next door. I'm going to move next that door. That would be amazing. Then so. we could have these conversations in person every day. Okay, we well, got. And that's I've, why it's great you guys are doing this show too. Yeah, because this is bringing this awareness to uh, a lot of people and a wide swath of people. Because that's there the are people. See, 
they're seeking this out. People want this. They really yeah. do. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, are... a, it's important to, you know, for people yeah. to realize that they're not alone and in, in feeling these ways, right, and so forth. So this whole idea of we're trying to create a really big tent where people belong and that they can laugh along with us and go, okay, I'm not the only one that's telling, you know, telling the truth and, uh-huh. and feeling these ways. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Um, tell me, and in pop, we always ask uh, on the show, Open Relationships, what's an unpopular opinion that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, the one I actually, I talked about it earlier because I thought mm-hmm. about this and mm-hmm. that I, this is unpopular, but there is no right and wrong in this world. There really isn't. I know people like mm. to get wrapped up in that, but mm-hmm. there's really not. I mean, I'm a great believer in karma and karmic things. And, and I'm, I have a very untraditional view in that I think we live several lives and, and we're going to live every permutation of our experience, meaning that if we harm somebody, we are going to be harmed. If we if we murdered somebody, we will be murdered. So there is a certain karmic imprint that's in all of us. So whatever is happening to us, we deserve it. And mm-hmm. I mean that in the in the in the the meaning that we did certain things that put us here. I know this is not a popular thing, but Ooh, you asked yeah, me. Yeah, sounds so like I'm, you so can I'm, you might you might get some hate mail after that. You know, there is. But again, it it goes back to radical responsibility, which we talked about, is that Uh it's taking radical responsibility because so many people want to say this person's wrong and I'm right or this is wrong and this is right. No, everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And you, Mm -hmm. through your perception, are choosing what it is you get to experience every day. So Mm -hmm. if you don't like your life, it's up to you to change it. No one is going to do it for you. And I know mm-hmm. that's not popular and I know people don't mm-hmm. like to hear it because that takes a level of, of personal responsibility. All right. I've got one more question for you. And I, <laughs> I'm yep. hesitant because I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, <laughs> but you are such a passionate advocate for you uh, as a yoga instructor, as a leader, as an author, um, as a, a genuine um, uh, sort of torchbearer for you know joy and well-being. For you, a must is breath work. So can you just talk no about like, is there one in particular that you're like, you know what? Uh, just do this one, right? Because there, it can be yep. overwhelming that there are so many. Yes. So just just g- give us some like actionable takeaways so that we can start doing breath work without feeling like we have to do a lot of research or that it's impossible right. or we're big dummies and we're doing it wrong. Yeah, it's very easy. And by the way, you're, there are two keys in life and it's your awareness and your breath. That is where okay. all your power is. And if you want the most simple, basic breathing exercise, it's alternate nostril breathing. It's very simple to do. You're literally going to inhale left. I'm going to do it with you. Inhale left and then close off the other nostril. Exhale right. Now inhale right. Close off the nostril. Exhale left. Okay. Inhale left. And keep doing that for five minutes. Just keep going. So Three to five how, minutes. How strong are we supposed to be inhaling and exhaling? Like, should I be like blowing boogers all over my? Please uh... <laughs> no, not on well, the Brian, equipment. This is not the company equipment. Brian, for heaven's sake, blow your nose before you do your breathing exercise. Okay, so this suicide, David. Uh, <laughs> um, I I take pre- I take pretty deep breaths. Uh, I I do a, a more advanced form of that, but you know, you're just doing a, a deep inhale and. Because what yeah. you're doing is you're trying to balance the sides of your brain. I'm not going to get overly yogi 
with this, yeah. but you're balancing. And, and the thing is, is people always say, well, what are the benefits of it? You're going to sleep better. Your digestion is going to be better. Your mental clarity and acuity is going to be better. It's going to improve all those things. And at a more profound level, what it does is it gets you in touch with your personal truth. It really does. By devoting some time every day to sit in silence and have a breathing practice, your truth is going to end up coming out. And then what, what the byproduct of that is, is things that don't serve you anymore will naturally fade away. Some people quit okay. drinking. Some people quit smoking. I mean, it's just, and it's, it's Maybe things we can that will quit just, hating, right? Maybe we can you go. quit uh, resisting, right? Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm I'm pretty unaware of the the breathing exercises and and the benefits it, it it causes. So this is very fascinating to me. Like, is so is that where you would start as a newcomer? Is the uh, nostril yes. or or like okay? I I would do honestly. That's a great breath to start. Alternate nostril breathing. Uh, Adi is a uh, yoga meditation teacher, and whenever somebody is just starting, that's the one she always gives. She always says, "Just do alternate nostril breathing." It's able to, um, you know, like I said, you're going to balance. Um, uh, both sides of, of the brain. And, 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 and most importantly, you know, once you've sat for three minutes or five minutes and you've done the breathing exercise, take another three minutes just to sit in silence. And, you know, your okay. brain is going to race. It's going to happen. Don't worry mm -hmm. about it. D pay no mind to it. Like, don't energetically connect to any of the thoughts. They're going to come, but let them pass through. And just, and, and, and if you can, witness your thoughts. Just witness mm -hmm. them. Just I as much as you can, witness the way you think. And even if you can get to the state where you laugh at your thoughts, where you're like, huh, how funny. I was just, I was just mad at the neighbor because he turned on the, the leaf blower. What do you know? And, and just by taking some time every day in silence, you're going to see gradual improvements. You really will. And, and I always recommend highly to people journal a couple sentences every day. It doesn't have to be long or anything. Just say, today I, I did a, a breath practice and my mind raced all the way through it. The next day, mm -hmm. I did a breath practice and I hate this. I can't stand this. The next day, hey, what do you know? It was actually pretty good today. Because what you can do is you can go back and you start to see the path that it takes mm -hmm. to start to reclaim some of your own truth. And I mean, I can't say enough about Having a practice, I didn't have one for most of my life, but once I got one, I would never, I would not, never not do a practice in the morning. There's no way I would get up and meet the world without doing it. That, yeah, that's amazing. The, I think I um, would just add to that by saying, um, I am, I am not surprised, but I, how often I hear, and I think of myself as in this industry, right? Kind of the wellness industry, we're uh, a leader in relational wellness. How many people will say to me, I don't know how to meditate. I can't meditate. I suck at meditating. And I'm really frustrated with our industry of, you know, of which I am a part that has done a terrible job of educating people what it feels like to meditate successfully and mm -hmm. to have a successful practice. So I love how you describe that. And I just, I want to summarize here what you're saying is, and especially I think a lot of people are like, frick, I can't spend 20 minutes in the morning. Like I got to get my kids to school. I got to get to work. I got to Mm -hmm. Make breakfast. I got to make the bed. I got to shower, right? Nobody, you know, like a lot of people, like, I don't you have know what time. I'd say that to, you know what I'd say to that, Andrea? Do you Tell have 20 minutes to watch TV? Oh, you know they do. <laughs> David, of well, course And that's do. what I'm saying. If, yeah. if you yeah. can't do it in the morning, and they, they say that, and then they feel that that's a legitimate thing, so I totally get yeah. it, man. It gets busy, and you like to sleep in. Absolutely do that. But tonight, instead of watching Friends, right. try this. 
You know, yeah. instead of binge watching whatever, try this. Right. Because well, again, well, totally, we both know, it, Andrea, that's that's an excuse. It, you know? It's totally. It, it's a total excuse. It's back to the, you know, I mean, nobody likes to be called a victim, yeah. but it ultimately is right. a victim mentality. But yeah. what I was going to say is, what I love about what you shared, you don't even necessarily need 20 minutes, right? No. If you do three to five minutes of the nostril breathing, three to five minutes of sitting inside, you know, just sort of reveling in a little quiet, right? And how few of us give ourselves that, just that quiet. Mm -hmm. um, and yes. then just to write a, a sentence or two or three or a paragraph in your journal, you can do that sub 10 minutes. And it's not torture. Yes. It's not torture. Because I feel like a lot yeah, of people you can... feel like meditation is a torture. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I can understand that. The thing—the thing really at the at the heart of it is—is is that I think people intuitively know that if they start to do a practice, they're going to change, and people are terrified of changing. They know they're oh, going. Oh. I mean, because because it, it is going to—you will change. Yeah, my one of my favorite catchphrases is that everybody wants to transform, nobody wants to change. That's right. That's exactly right. But change you know, is hard. A, I saw this great, great cartoon. You know, it was a two-panel cartoon, and it, it uh -huh. the guy says, "Who wants change?" And everybody's raising their hand. And the next one is, "Who wants to change?" And no one's raising their hand. <laughs> exactly. And totally. that's just yeah, it. That, totally. that literally summarizes what it is. And it's like, the the thing to me is, yeah, like you said, three to five minutes. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. You know, if you can do, it's you just step. sit with yourself, three to five minutes. And watch Make, how it grows amen. because it's going to be something that you're going to do. And it might take three weeks, but before you know it, three minutes goes to five and five goes to seven and seven goes to 15. And you know, the thing about it is, is that there is a very famous yogi who says having a sadhana, which is spiritual practice or a meditation mm -hmm. is the great giver of time. And you want to know why that is? Because you do a practice and everything that is not serving your highest good starts to fade out of your life. Oh, television I love shows that it's the great giver of time. So when people say I don't have time to meditate or do a breathing practice, I say to them, you don't have time. You don't have time not to because not it to. is the great mm -hmm. giver so of good. time. Yeah. The great giver of time. I love that. In fact, it, my uh, my sister-in-law, her name is Sadna. So Sadna, I have a whole other uh, appreciation for you, sister. So uh, that's oh, super yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful yeah, name. Sadna is a spiritual mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. oh, In fact, it's your birthday beautiful. today. So happy birthday, Sadna. Well, you're, happy uh, birthday, you're Sadna. a blessed one. I <laughs> want you cool. to tell Sadna, <laughs> tell Sadna that on her birthday, I did Sadna today at 3.45 a.m. Yeah. Amen. So there you go. That's it. <laughs> Amen. That's what we all need yeah. to do. Well, this yeah. is a great, we're going to wrap up an, an amazing episode of Open Relationships. Thank you so much. David and uh, team over here, John, Jonas, and Brian, um, you gave us so many actionable takeaways. I've taken pages of notes. Everyone's like, please don't repeat them all. <laughs> I won't repeat <laughs> them all. I'm going to just uh, pick a few of the ones that have really um, uh, stood with me uh, or sort of resonate with me. Uh, the first one I'd say is the power of uh, yes, respect the yes, a yes leads you into the infinite unknown, right? That's where magic happens. Yep. Um, I love you said create a mind movie at mindmovie.com. A uh, little uh, um, uh, compliments of Joe Dispenza. Uh, you talked about, um, uh, oh gosh, in the the um, Black Hawk Down, 
somebody should do something about that. Yes. Make that somebody me, right? That, yes, let, that's, let's that's take somebody uh, is more me. responsibility um, for for what we can do to uh, to be part of the solution. Um, and again, you said a ton more that was amazing around listening and and the tenets of. Uh, you only mentioned two of your books, Happy Accidents and your newest book. Um, but just even concluding with the two keys to well-being, um, one being awareness and two, breath work. So mm -hmm. just making that your daily practice, if you can do it in the morning, great. If you need to do it at lunch or in the evening, mm -hmm. the three to five minutes of alternate nostril breathing, it's yep. uh, super straightforward. Simple. You know, it it takes as little as three minutes a day. And if you can just sit quietly for, you know, ideally three to five minutes to do the, the alternate nostril breathing and to sit quietly. I, I've started doing that more in the morning. It is such a gift. I so look forward to just having that that quiet time before things get crazy. So I love those takeaways. Uh, David Ahern, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I trust you can buy your books at Amazon, uh, Amazon. anywhere books are sold. Yeah, and, and I have a website, daviddanielbooks.com. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be great. I got applause again. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. That's a wrap of Open Relationships, Transforming Together. Stay tuned. We've got some amazing guests coming up that we are so excited to feature on the show to get their actionable takeaways to really engage and work to transform together. We have uh, what I'm, I always forget what I'm supposed to say now. Um, you can find us at uh, openrelationships at yourtango.com if you want to write to us, give us feedback. Uh, Brian, people can follow us, they can like us. What else can they do with uh, open relationships? Yeah, they can subscribe, they can uh, drop a like, comment down below if there's anyone you want to see on the show, or uh, as you pointed out, we are doing uh, some coaching sessions on the show itself. So if you wanna be a call-in guest, you can email us at openrelationships@yourtango.com. So thank you, thank you for Thanks, joining everybody. us. Thanks everybody, thanks so much. Respect the yes. Respect the yes. Yeah. <laughs>